0: So we're in the second leg of our series called Stretch. And uh, in this series, um, as we've been saying from the beginning of the year, uh, the idea is that we want to look differently at the end of the year than we do right now. And what are the different aspects of our life um, that when we think about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, becoming like Jesus, what are the things that we need to do, we need to put into place, put into action... So that we look like a different person, or our marriage is different, or our kids are different, or um, uh, our spiritual life is, is growing. Uh, what is it that we need to do to take action with so that, again, at the end of this year, we can look back and say, I've, I've grown in my relationship with Jesus. And the second leg of this, we've been looking at marriage. And last week, we looked at the fact that if you truly want to have a godly marriage, one that's going to stand the test of time, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. It's no longer about I and mine and me. It's about us. It's about us. It's about we. It's about ours. It's about how we journey in the, through this life uh, together. So today, uh, I'm calling this Practical Application Sunday, okay? Um, This is Practical Application Sunday that we're going to get to some things um, that I hope to challenge you with that will just be practical uh, about marriage and relationships where you can say, okay, what are a couple of these things that we can put into place in our marriage that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus? So that, once again... Our marriage will be farther along in our relationship with each other and with Jesus by the end of the year, more so than it may be even now. And some people just have a little bit to go, right? But we can always use improvement. We can always use going that extra step, of course, when it comes to our marriage and our relationship with Jesus. I was looking up a couple of things about marriage um, out of curiosity. Um, I've started getting these emails. I have no idea why I started getting them, what I clicked that caused me to start getting these. But they're called interesting facts. And I get like two or three a day, and it's pretty fascinating stuff. And so one of them was about, does anybody else get those? Okay, well, you're ruining my sermon illustrations if you get them too, so stop getting them, all right? Um, so anyway, I was reading about marriage, and one of the interesting facts: Did you ever know um, the the uh, background to the attendance? like the marriage attendance where you got the guy standing up with the lady standing up with him? Um, I know that in the Bible we know that the uh, that the bridegroom would bring his groomsmen, and they would come, and they would bring the bride and go back. Uh, but there's some in some other cultures, um, it meant different things. Uh, for example, um, the groomsmen were there uh, to offer protection, um, but in Roman culture, there had to be ten witnesses to the wedding taking place. Like, if there weren't ten men witnessing it, it didn't happen. And so that was part of the groomsmen standing up. And then there was another part um, where uh, the groomsmen were there for protection so that nobody would come and take off with the bride. Um, I haven't seen that happen lately, maybe in the movies. And uh, then there's another part that is a little more... Twisted, in that (laughs) oftentimes in some cultures, the wife or the bride-to-be wouldn't have met the groom. And so the groomsmen would actually go get her and bring her, and they were to make sure she didn't run away once she saw the groom. That's kind of fun, huh? Um, And then on the other side, the ladies, um, it's thought that um, some of the bridesmaids um, were there for protection also, to protect the bride. But there was so much superstition uh, going along, and we're not superstitious around here, we're just a little stitious my Michael Scott quote, right? Um, but anyway, they would, have, they would have the ladies up there, and they would have them dressed similarly to the bride, so that if evil spirits, or if somebody came with bad intention to steal the dowry or to steal the bride, they wouldn't know which one was the bride. It was before the white dresses and everything, so the bridesmaids would dress similarly. But all of it was done for protection and superstition. Well, there's another, um, uh, another thing with weddings, and you know this one, right? Something old, something... New, something, and something, blue, and do you know the last phrase? And a sixpence in her shoe. Did you know that was part of the original thing? I think it was published first in 1870-something. And uh, all of that has to do with luck. Um, The whole old, new, borrowed, blue. um, They're hoping that if they wear something that belonged to somebody who was having kids, that they too might have kids someday. Um, And that was the whole thing was based on luck. Well, the problem with both of these two things uh, are this. Um, Number one, we shouldn't need attendance to protect us on wedding day. It should be something that we're ready for and ready to get married in front of our witnesses, friends, and, and before God. But the second part of it is, luck has nothing to do with a good marriage. Luck has nothing to do with a good marriage. So you can drop the rabbit's foot, the four-leaf clovers, whatever it is that you have. All right, um, Luck has nothing to do with it. If you want to have a marriage that is built on biblical principles and is a godly marriage that's going to stand the test of time, um, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. We can't just say, "Okay, we're we're getting married and uh what? I just hope this works out, you know? I hope she uh we're compatible with each other and that we may like some of the same things once in a while. I hope she can put up with um you know my um habits in the bathroom or whatever." That didn't sound appropriate. Um and so, you know, we're we're just hoping those things work and it's like, "No, um luck has nothing to do um with a good marriage. It's all about being it's all about being intentional." And so I would say instead of something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, then maybe look at this picture and instead we are intentional about something old, like maybe scouring the Old Testament, something new, maybe scouring the New Testament, um, something to give away, like not just your treasures, but maybe your time and your efforts that you have and your giftedness, and then also some place to serve for you too. I think maybe that should be the saying from now on, that instead of looking for luck when it comes to marriage, we look for how we can be intentional about growing our marriage and having it look like something that God intended for it to be Uh, and to be on this journey with our spouse to become like Jesus. It's not luck. It's about being intentional. So I'm going to share uh, three chapter or three scriptures with you. Um, two of them are my absolute favorites. If you came in for premarital counseling, you've heard these from me. Um, these are two that I go over at nauseum with the couple that we're going to uh, get married. Um, and then the third one's going to be one that, um, well, I'll explain it when we get there. Okay? The first one is Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. And I love these these verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. A godly marriage has godly oversight. A godly marriage has godly oversight. Did you read what the first verse said? If God's not the builder, if he's not the architect of your marriage, then it is about luck. Because 50% of marriages end in divorce, right? 70-some percent of second marriages, 80-some percent of third marriages. If you live together before marriage, 70% of them fail. That's, those are statistics. And so if you're not going to allow God to be the architect of your marriage, we're basically just giving into statistics and saying, I hope things work out, but they probably won't. But instead, if we have God as the architect of our marriage and he builds our house, he has oversight. Did you read the second part of that. It's in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest. It's, it's in vain that you're working too hard. Work smarter, not harder kind of thing. It's in vain that you're trying to go over the top thinking all that you can do for your marriage and to build your home. Why? Because if God's the one that builds it, he gives you rest. God helps you work smarter, not harder. God helps you see what it looks like to have a home that is built on Him and His Word. And so you can see, that's why I love those couple of verses to share with couples that are getting married. sit down with them and say, listen, if you want to have a happy, healthy marriage, one that is going to stand the test of time, God has to be the architect of that marriage. He's got to be the one drawing up the plans. He's got to be the one that we're relying on to be our roof and our walls and the electric and the plumbing and everything else. He's got to be the one that we turn to. Because otherwise... We're just getting married in vain, hoping things work out. The next verse is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And I know I've shared these verses a hundred times before. But again, these are some of those verses that when it comes to marriage, um, I go through uh, with uh, couples in premarital counseling. Everyone then, these are Jesus' words, and uh, this is the end, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So some people believe it was one sermon. Some people think it was several sermons patched together that Matthew put down. Let's assume it was one sermon um, and for uh, a lot of time and people sitting on a mountainside. Jesus is teaching them and he's teaching them things like blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And he's uh, then talking about if someone hits you on one side of the face, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek, right? How many of you have ever done that before? Yeah, me neither. We don't like that one, do we? Yeah. Someone asked you to go one mile, that you go an additional mile. Someone asked for part of your clothing, you give them your other part of your clothing also. And Jesus is teaching that to all of these people, and it's hitting them right in the face about, whoa, this is a different kind of teaching than we've heard. And then toward the end of it, this is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, so all the Sermon on the Mount, and does them, did you see that part? And does them, not just hears them, but does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. A godly marriage is built on the words of Christ. A godly marriage is built on the words of Christ. I love sharing that parable with people when we're getting ready to plan out their their wedding and their marriage and get them ready for that because... It's just so easy to look at it and say, listen, this is what it looks like to have a godly marriage. We're building it on the foundation of Jesus. None of you would go out and build a house that you would just build it on sand. Nobody would do that. It's just ridiculous. You know that you have to put the concrete foundation down first. As long as it may take and uh, getting it just right with the grade and all that kind of stuff. I know nothing about building. I'm just talking out of my hip right now. Right? Um, all that stuff you have to do. Why? Because when the rain and storms come, right, they're going to come. It's like in wintertime in Caucasus. We know snow is coming. It's not a, wow, that's strange. We had snow this year. It's never like that. My favorite saying in the winter is, boy, it's been a strange winter. All nine winters I've been here, I've heard that phrase because none of the nine have been the same except for one thing. There's always snow of some sort, right? It always is going to come. If you live uh, down in Louisiana where it's underwater, like the state is underwater and they're surprised when a flood comes. Uh, you shouldn't be, right? It's, it's going to happen. It's going to take place. If you're in Hurricane Alley or Tornado Alley or what, all that kind of stuff, it's going to happen. And so what do you do? Well, you prepare for it. Do you ever wonder how people can continue to live in those places where hurricanes come and tornadoes? They just know how to either live through it and or prepare for it so the damage is minimized the best that they can. And so when it comes to our marriage, when we're building it on Jesus, if we listen to his words... And we do his words, then we're building it on the rock of Jesus. And guess what? When it comes to marriage, I don't have to tell you this, storms will come. You ask any married person in this room, and I guarantee you that if you said, Hey, has everything just been rainbows and unicorns in your marriage throughout the whatever years? They would look at you and say, No. 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 It could be because they were broke once. It could be because they were fighting once. It could be because other things entered their marriage and it was just bad. And people lived through that. Those are the rains and storms of life that come in. And Jesus said, it's going to happen. However, if we build our marriage on Christ, that foundation, when those rains and storms come, the house can stand. The house can stand firm. But if you build it on something more loose, those storms of life are going to wipe your marriage out. You're just going to wipe it out. All right, the last little passage I want to share with you before we get to the more practical application stuff is Acts chapter 18. And I never preached a marriage sermon based on this couple before, and I don't know why. Um, probably because we don't have a whole lot of information, but there's enough there. Okay, In Acts chapter 18, the first three verses read this way. After this, um, this is talking about Paul and his missionary journeys throughout the book of Acts. Um, Those are another message for another day. But anyway, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth uh, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So one time when Claudius was ruler um, uh, over the the Roman Empire uh, in Rome, he kicked all the Jews out because there was one guy in particular, it would appear, that was stirring up riots. And so he blamed it on all the Jews and he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so uh, they left, they went to Corinth, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila met up with Paul. And he went to see them, Paul did, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. A few verses down, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And then a few uh, verses later, down in verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is what I love about these verses in Acts 18 about this married couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who you will hardly find any more information in the Bible about. They were a married couple that were so devoted to Jesus, so devoted to God, that when they were kicked out of Rome, they didn't get angry with God, they didn't fall away from the faith, they found Paul. And they went on a missionary journey with Paul. Can you imagine that? I love Michelle Price, and I went on a mission trip with her, and she was wonderful, but if I could replace her with Paul, sorry, Michelle, I'd do it, right? I mean, if Paul could lead you on a missionary journey, how amazing would that be? And why would he take Priscilla and Aquila? Because they knew the word. And their marriage was built on Jesus. We can only assume that because Paul probably wouldn't have taken them otherwise. He had a hard time. He didn't want to take Barnabas' cousin John Mark back with him, did he? But he took Priscilla and Aquila. And what did they prove to Paul and to others when they were on this journey? They heard a guy preaching and they knew that there was something wrong about his teaching. And they didn't stand up and didn't raise a big fuss in front of everybody. Say, whoa, hold the boat there, Apollos. You are teaching bad stuff. I'm calling you out right now in front of all these people. No, it says that they took him aside. And they said, tell us more about what you learned and where you learned that. Because he knew the ways of Jesus. He just didn't know the baptism of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They only knew the baptism of repentance. It's another sermon for another day. If that confuses you, then I apologize. But they saw that in his teaching, they heard that in his teaching, they pulled him aside and they said, let us teach you the more accurate way. How would they do that? Because they were a couple that built their marriage on knowing and loving Jesus and made it their business to disciple others, even other believers, so that they might more accurately know the ways of Jesus. And so the third point in your outline is that a godly marriage impacts others. A godly marriage impacts others. So we have these three passages of Scripture, right? I love the first one uh, because if God's not going to be the architect, you're just building your marriage in vain. The second one is if you really want to build it on Christ, um, not just planning out your house and what it looks like, but we need to listen to the words of Jesus and do them. And as we do, as we grow, as we challenge each other and disciple each other, we can become our own Aquila and Priscilla where we are mentoring and discipling other people because we know the Word of God so well, and we're sharpening each other along the way. Alright, so all that's well and good. And so I wanted to spend the, uh, spend the second half or third of my time that I have with you um, just to give you some practical challenges about what you might do with your own marriage so that taking, looking at these scriptures, about listening to Jesus, doing those words, having God be the architect of your marriage, what does it practically look like? Well, Ecclesiastes 4.12, you've probably heard this at weddings as well. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You've heard that before, right? It's in Ecclesiastes. And just as we talked about money and the fact that our paper currency has these red and blue threads that are weaved in and out of it so that they, we can tell if they're counterfeit, the same goes with our marriage. We don't want to be or have a counterfeit marriage. We want a marriage that is, has Jesus weaved in and out of it. Why? Because a three-cord a three strand woven together it's so much easier uh, to break apart. So here's some, some things that you can do to wrap your marriage around God. All right? And these are going to blow your mind, especially if you've been around here for a long time. All right? Are you ready for this? Brace yourself. The first one is, guess what? Seek scripture. Now if you've been around here for a while, you know what I'm talking about, right? Our mission around here is helping people journey with Jesus. And we have these four vision statements that we find in Jesus' life. And I would say that they apply to our relationship with our spouse as well. The first one is seeking scripture. I'm going to give you a few um, practical ways to do this. First of all, if you don't have on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your computer, the YouVersion Bible app. I think there will be a picture there it is, um, I would encourage you to download that on your phone. You can have your Bible with you wherever you go. Right, Um, I read through my Bible in a year using the YouVersion Bible app on my tablet. It tells me what to read, what passages to read every day, and it takes me all the way through the Bible in a year. As a couple, you can do that together. But also in the YouVersion Bible app, which was created almost by accident by a church in Oklahoma, by the way. It's kind of a a wild story. But anyway, um, you can type in there, marriage, and it'll bring up marriage plans. It would be like a four or a six day plan that you can read with your spouse and just study God's word, even just for a few days at a time. And so if you haven't downloaded this, that's one way for you and your spouse to start reading the Bible together so that you're sharpening each other and growing by seeking scripture. Um, Another way to read scripture with your spouse. um, And again, if you're a single person or if you have a good friend you want to do this with, this works as well. But pick a passage of scripture. Say, uh, honey, we're going to read through the book of Matthew this year. And so let's take three paragraphs or let's take a whole chapter. And once we've read it on three days a week, we're going to ask three questions. We're going to say, what did it say? We're going to say, what did we learn and how can we apply it? Now, sometimes you'll have a lot of conversation about those questions. And sometimes you'll just stare at each other. It just depends on the passage of scripture that you pick. But that's a way, because sometimes we'll read it and say, "Okay, I've read it. Now, what do we do with this? Well, have a conversation with your spouse about it. What did this passage say? What did we learn? Is there anything that we can take away from this passage of Scripture together? So if you're not speaking Scripture with your spouse, that's a a practical thing that you can put in place. Another one is, and I've told single people this one before as well, read a proverb a day. How many proverbs are there? How many chapters? Anybody know? 31, right? How many days are in half the months? Thirty-one. The other ones don't, right? So if you read a proverb a day, um, uh, if a, proverb, a chapter of proverbs a day, you'll get through the book of proverbs half the months of the year, and most of it the other months of the year. So that's another way you can read the Bible with your spouse. And I would say, if you're going from zero to wanting to read the Bible together, reading a proverb a day is a good place to start because it's fairly simple and it's a way to start opening your Bible. The other thing, uh, the last thing I'll say about seeking scripture together is uh, you could find a devotional for couples. Um, I would encourage you to make sure that it's Bible-based, that there's scripture that's throughout. Um, I wanted to find one that maybe guys, uh, might it might be appealing to guys because, let's face it, it would be a little more tough to get them to get going than ladies. Sorry, fellas. Um, so I found one. Um, it's called the Duck Commander Devotional for Couples. How awesome is that? Right. Um, so it's Al and Lisa Robertson, the Duck Dynasty people, um, wrote a devotional. It's got 52 of them. You can do one a week. And I put some in the hub. Um, there's the suggested donation of 10 bucks. It's a little bit less than what I paid for it. Um, but if that's a place that you need to start as a couple because you don't know where to start when it comes to diving into God's word together. Pick up one of these things. Right. And just go through a chapter a week. That's a great starting place. Especially if you're going from zero to wanting to seek scripture together. Alright, second one, again, blow your mind, sharpen and be sharpened, right? Uh, We not only want to seek scripture together, but we want to sharpen one another as well. We want to be around other couples that are going to sharpen us, and that we might be able to sharpen also. And so if you are not in any kind of Christian community as a couple, if you're going from zero, find a life group to be a part of. Find a life group to be a part of. If you're having trouble finding one, come see me. I got room in mine on Tuesday nights, but I'll, I'll pair you up with one, alright? Find another, find a place where other couples, there will be singles there too, and that's fine, but find a place where other Christian couples will be so that you're in Christian community. How often do we hang around people that are not leading us to Jesus, and we get caught up with what they're doing, and we have this tug and this pull away from Jesus, as opposed to people that are pushing us toward Him? And I'm not saying that we don't need to evangelize people that don't know him. I understand that. But we have the whole air mask on the airplane thing, right? You've got to put your own on before you can help others. So make sure that you're in some kind of Christian community. Make sure that you're sharpening one another. We can sharpen one another through devotional books, which I just shared with you. But also a big one, of course, is praying together. Is praying together. Now, I think one of the biggest fears in this world beyond public speaking is praying out loud. Right? A lot of people just don't want to pray out loud. They don't feel comfortable. I don't know what to say. Okay? Well, do you know that with all those percentages working against marriages, and I know I've shared this one before, but there's actually a statistic out there, and I researched this, and that actually was a survey that was done, that less than 1% of couples get divorced when the couple prays together every day. You can eliminate all those bad statistics by simply praying with your spouse every day. By just praying together. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, Andy, I don't know how to pray. It's something I didn't grow up doing. Dad always did it. I didn't do it at the dinner table. Went to college, went to high school, went there, whatever. Just never prayed. I don't know how to do that with my spouse. Let me give you just a simple acrostic to maybe help you get you started. Okay? The acrostic is ACTS. A-C-T-S. We start with adoration. Just like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. That's adoration. We just want to adore God for who he is. Just recognize that he is the God of creation and Lord of our life. Secondly, is confession. Father, I know that I've sinned this week, and I'm not trying, I don't want to try to hide it. I just want to verbalize it to you. The third thing is thanksgiving, and just list all the things that you're thankful for. And if you have a struggle or a hard time thinking about what to thank God for, one, we can talk because I'm sure we can come up with a good list. But third, you're breathing, aren't you? I think that's something to be thankful for. To have protection, to have a house, just to be able to be in this world is something to be thankful for. And then finally, take your request to God. Supplication. We want to be, it's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to ask God for healing. It's okay to ask God to bless your home, to provide for you. It's okay to do those things. That's what a verbalized prayer looks like. And if you're going from zero to starting to pray, that's an opportunity for you as well. If you're not praying together. if uh, I would encourage you, if you're going to start praying together, if it's not something you do, you've got to figure out a time when you're going to do it so that you'll stick with it. First thing in the morning... Last thing at night, those are the easy ones. Um, midday on the phone, if you say, listen, at 10 o'clock, we're going to call each other and pray for each other on the phone, if, if your job allows that kind of thing. Whatever it is that you can set a certain time that you can pray together. My dad kind of got up in my grill one year. Um, as only my dad can get up in your grill. He's a kind of soft guy. But anyway, sorry, you didn't hear that, Dad, did you? <laughs> um, but anyway, he, he, got, he got on me one time. He's like, Andrew, you don't go to bed at the same time your wife does? I'm like no, sometimes she goes to bed early, and I don't. He's like, "What are you doing?" And I, that really affected me. It challenged me, and I'm not going to say I'm 100% at it because sometimes he would go to bed earlier, and I'd want to watch a ball game or whatever. But there's so much protection and so much good in a marriage that comes with going to bed at the same time as your spouse does. And so, if you get into that practice, guess what else you can do with that practice? You can pray together before you go to sleep, before you go to bed at night. All right, show compassion. running out of time. All right. Uh, Here's some ways that you can show compassion. Maybe you're not a very compassionate couple. That you're just thinking, it's all about us, it's all about ours, whatever. We don't want to share with anybody. That's not what Jesus did. And thank goodness he did not do that, right? He showed compassion wherever he went. He'd go into a town, he was on his way to do something, and somebody with a disease would come up, and he would slow down, and he had compassion on them. And so we want to be a people that show compassion. So random acts of kindness. Maybe once a month you and your spouse decide we're going to do something nice for somebody else. We're just going to randomly do something nice, whatever it may be. You're going to rake their yards, shovel their snow. Uh, Maybe you're just going to stop in and see somebody. Um, Secondly, maybe you tip a waiter or a waitress really well once a month. You just have this $50 bill that you set aside or $20 bill you set aside and say, we're going to tip this one time this month to somebody, some waiter or waitress, unsuspecting, and we're just going to leave that for them. Uh, one time my wife and I left a rather our tip. We decided to do that. And this lady like chased us down and said, "Um, I think you left too much money for me, right? <laughs> it's fun to have that conversation with people and to surprise them and to really bless somebody like that. Take someone a meal. Everybody eats, Right. Um, take somebody a meal Random act of kindness there Go visit someone We have a lot of people watching online That can't come to church Their health doesn't allow it And they would love to have somebody go visit them Probably every single day If you need a list If you need some direction there Please call the church office and Maybe we can match somebody up with you Sarah's starting a dino squad She's calling it that On uh, Mondays at 10 o'clock She's going to take people out To go visit some people um, That could use, uh, could use some guests And some good conversation but I would encourage you to do that as a marriage couple. And then the fourth one, again, I know it blows your mind, serve sacrificially. Just as every individual can have a part, guess what married couples can have? You can have a part also. Um, the Trumbulls were in greeting today, and um, I just saw them there. I thought, that's wonderful. Um, James and uh, Lucy were out uh, greeting people that came in, and then uh, Lily and I didn't see Jack. Was Jack around? I didn't see Jack out there. Jack was a slacker today, That's all right. Um, Jack was normally there with them, and Lily and, and Andrea, and they were and their whole family was serving together. That's what you do. Find your part. Your whole family can can help in that way. Can greet people or say goodbye or uh, don't let your kids out parking people's cars though. Okay, we frown against that. Uh, but anyway, find your family part. Our acrostic for part is every. Volunteer position has a position, attributes, responsibilities, and a time commitment. And you can do that as a family. Because couples that serve together, I'm telling you, it helps build their marriage. And they stay together. And they work through things as they serve outside of themselves. And if you think you have it all figured out, mentor a couple who doesn't. (laughs) You may be in this place where you're like, Andy, we pray together. We read our Bible together. We found our place to serve together. Um, yes, we are generous with others. Awesome. Teach somebody else how to do it. Teach somebody else. Become a mentor couple that says, we want to help. We want to walk, walk alongside you in the difficulties that you may have because we were there once as well. And we want to walk alongside you to help encourage your marriage. Strive to be a couple that doesn't just grow your marriage but grows the kingdom. Strive to be a marriage couple, a married couple that doesn't just grow your marriage. That that's not the only focus, but that we have kingdom focus when it comes to our marriages. That we not only are trying to help each other grow, but we're willing to help the whole greater kingdom. Because here's what happens when you're in a marriage and things are going well, people notice it, and they say, "I want to have a marriage like that." And when people see that and say, "I want to have a marriage like that," they start to have a conversation, and then they're in infected with the gospel as well and they're affected by that and they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior also that's the impact that we can have when our marriages are growing in Christ so this is what I would just simply ask you to do when it comes to those four areas reading the Bible being in discipleship being generous finding your place to serve I want you to score yourself from 0 to 10, where is your marriage? Doing those things together, not as an individual. Where are you from 0 to 10? Are you reading your Bible every day together? Praying together? Serving together? And if you give yourself a 1 or a 2 or a 5, or even if you give yourself an 8, I want you to really challenge yourself and say, what can we do now that at the end of the year we're one number bigger? That we're one number higher and farther along with our, with our marriage? I'm guessing that if we took a survey of everyone in here, there's something in those areas that as a married couple, we can do a little bit better. And as we do those things better, we're intentional about our marriage and we're not looking to luck to have a happily ever after, but we're looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who gave us life, not just created it, but died on the cross for us, To save it so that we can live with him for all of eternity. He's giving us the blessing of marriage. Let's take that blessing and grow grow closer to Jesus and impact the greater kingdom by being a married people that God has called us to be. Next week, when we come together, I'm going to try to answer some more difficult questions like, Andy, I'm doing all that, but our marriage is still on the rocks. Help me. We'll talk about some more difficult things about divorce. We see some scripture of that in the Bible. We want to talk about some more challenging things next week. But during this week, I would challenge you just to look and say, how can we draw closer to Jesus as a married couple? Why not you stand with me and let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for marriage because it's such an, a blessing from you. And it's an honor to get to experience that in this world. And I know there are a lot of single people. There are people that choose to be single, which is awesome. And there are uh, people that have become single. And um, now they're dealing with whatever fallout that may have happened because of it. We don't know. But, Father, we 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 just now want to thank you for marriage. Because it's awesome and it's a gift from you. And we just praise you for it. But, Father, in our praise and our gratefulness, I pray that you would challenge us to not be stagnant in our marriage. That we will be looking ahead to say, how can, we, how can we become a better married couple? How can we be people that listen to the words that you've spoken and put them into action? How can we have you be the architect of our home? So Father, whether it's a single person or a married person here, I pray that we would assess where we are in what Jesus taught us and how to live. May we challenge ourselves to grow in those areas so that we can be closer to looking like Jesus by the end of this year. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.